This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast series, brought to you by Ozark Institute, an initiative of OncoSpark, a technology-enabled revenue cycle management company, discussing your life as a medical coder, offering tips and advice for coding students and professionals. Join us every Wednesday. Hello and welcome to the Life as a Coder podcast. My name is Jennifer McNamara and I'm your host today. Our goal at this podcast is, as always, to bring you those timely industry topics in the field of health information management, as well as tips for work-life balance. I want to thank our sponsors over at the Ozark Institute, powered by OncoSpark. OncoSpark is a technology-enabled revenue cycle management company. Well, guys, today is a fabulous episode. I'm very excited. So much is happening in the news, so many things happening. So as many of us have been doing the last few days and Upcoming weeks, we'll be discussing Modifier 25. And so I know everyone's very excited to dig into this episode. This is Season 6, Episode 5, Modifier 25, A Story of Compliance. And so I have a special guest today, Sonal Patel. Sonal is a healthcare coding advisor, an auditor, a compliance consultant. She's also a fellow podcaster just like me. I really think you should go check out the Paint the Medical Picture podcast series available on all platforms. We are just these podcasting sisters. We love to talk to each other, have each other on each other's podcasts. You may have heard me on hers, and now we're having her back as a guest on this podcast. So we can talk about this industry news for Modifier 25. We're not only going to talk about, of course, what's happening in the news, but also just the history of it, try to make it a little more understandable It seems to be one of those modifiers that just catches people by surprise or they just don't fully understand all the implications of using it inappropriately. As a disclaimer, I want to remind everyone that CPT, current procedural terminology where the modifier 25 lives, is copyrighted by the American Medical Association. But I also want to remind everyone that you should never take anything that you hear on a podcast like this one or elsewhere as legal or professional advice. We always tell our listeners, we do the best we can to provide you with regulatory guidelines, authoritative guidance, and if anyone comes at you and answers a question for you, whether it's on social media or anywhere else, always take that advice or that recommendation with a grain of salt and realize that nobody's perfect and they may not have exactly been able to answer your question 100% because of course they don't have the chart in front of them. Of course, for uh, HIPAA compliance, they can't, right? (laughs) They can't see your charts, right? So they're going to be giving you information based on what you're expressing to them, whether it's on a social media platform or email, but never, ever, ever expect that to be 100% accurate because of that. I encourage everyone to always be available to help others in the industry who are trying to learn and, and improve. But there are other platforms designed to do that other than social media. So be very careful with your social media posts and and what you ask and what you respond to. Um, Be very careful with that. As my disclaimer, I want to remind everyone, um, let's not lead anyone down the wrong path without giving them references, authoritative guidance to back up what we're saying. And so just wanted to lay that out there. But I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I'm really excited to introduce my friends in Al Patel. So stay tuned. I want to thank our sponsors over at OncoSpark for designing a platform that streamlines and standardizes the authorization process. As we know, the barriers for practices and patients due to prior authorizations are a clinical and a clerical issue. This new tool, Authparency, optimizes staff and resources while decreasing the time that a patient must wait. This platform will seamlessly integrate with your practice management system and your electronic health record alerting you to expiring authorizations or order changes. 
Off-parentage reports can also be used for internal development as well as payer and pharma accountability. Direct insurance verification and specialty pharmacy hub enrollment are standard modules in the platform too. So jump on over to oncospark.com. That's www.oncospark.com and look at their technology solutions. We're also going to put the information in our show notes. Schedule your demo for Authparency today and get started with this amazing tool. Well, as I mentioned, I have my uh, special guest, Sanal Patel, which of course, Sanal is a repeat guest. I'm so happy to have her back on the show. Thank you for joining me today, Sanal. Oh my goodness, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. I always love being on your show. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, you're welcome. Oh my goodness. And I know I was on yours not too long ago, a couple of times now, and that's right. So we're kind of sharing the wealth a little bit. Um, <laughs> we love it. We love it. Yeah. And I know you and I and Terry and just different ones in the industry, it's kind of blowing up this podcast thing. And um, how, how's your show been doing? Are you enjoying um, the growth? You know what? I love my podcast. I'm uh, well into my second year. I'm approaching my 100th episode, which to me is wow. just crazy. I can't even believe um, there's so much to talk about, right? In our little niche, we think we don't really have much to say, but we clearly do because coding um, is just an immense, immense field. There's so many specialties and there's so much that you can touch upon, right? From the actual coding of each and every specialty to all of the guidelines, to the Medicare regulations, and of course, to compliance. So I think like Terry Fletcher, right, has been doing this for a very long time. And we, of course, look up to her. And there's so much that we can dive into from week to week and the collaborative process um, that you and I have extended upon is just tremendous. So I love what I do. I love my podcast. And I love that many of us are trying to give back in this space, right? That's what it's all about. Because you and I won't be around here for forever. It's about trying to bring up this next wave of the business of healthcare professionals. So I love what I do. Same here, Sanal. And I 100% agree with you. You know, we have these industry icons that we look up to and um, being groomed ourselves, you know, to be that next uh, level. And then we're giving back to that generation that's coming up. And I think that's important, you know, and one of the things that I have run into and you have as well over the years, we've always had this controversy, this topic of the modifier 25 and it's in the news lately, isn't it? Oh my goodness. The big bad boy modifier 25 (laughs) is out again. Yes. He's in the spotlight once again. Um, yeah, controversial causing problems as usual for our providers. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Modifier 25. What are we going to do with you? Well, (laughs) what are we going to do with this modifier? I know. I mean, we've been educating and educating and educating, but these payers, and I know you want to put the spotlight on a couple of these commercial payer plans that kind of got this idea. Although Mm -hmm. I know you and I have seen this idea in the past as well Mm -hmm. from these same particular payers that we'll talk about. But yeah. yeah, they want to kind of do something different with claims that are submitted with Modifier 25. Yeah. I agree. Um, and so we have um, Modifier C, or um, excuse me, um, Payer C, I will call it, okay. um, that decided that they were going to announce uh, starting in August that they were going to pre-review all of these claims right. for these established patients, right? Right. So this uh, payer decided that they wanted to uh, review these ahead of time if Modifier 25 was attached. Um, now, historically, we know in order to really understand this modifier, the first step also, first of all, is just to understand the definition, right? So right. the first thing I always did when I was learning a modifier and teaching how to use a modifier, I said, let's go to the book. You know, this modifier is in your CPT manual. Uh, that is governed by the American Medical Association. So CPT, current procedural terminology, in Appendix A, we have a nice definition, which is a significant, separately identifiable evaluation and management service by the same physician or other QHP 
qualified healthcare professional. I like my abbreviations. I always <laughs> abbreviate on the same day of the procedure or other service. That is an ambiguous, very long description yeah. of sure. a modifier. Sure. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. Yes. That is vague, ambiguous. Providers can look at that any number of ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Spot on. So if we're educating providers, you know, sometimes it's just nice to just break it up, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. key po- components of this definition or this description is you're seeing a patient, right? Um, you're performing an evaluation management service for that patient, but you're also potentially performing a procedure or other service on the same day, right? That's right. First step, right? And so that's what we're kind of thinking. Okay. Normally you're just going to see them, right? But something's come into the mix now. And you have to do something else and you have to be able to report that accurately. But then we have to really talk to them about that's a global package. Like we have to make sure not only they understand this definition, but they also understand what the global package exists and what is used for, because that also has a bearing on it. Um, I find that many confuse the fact that you can just slap a 25 on there when you do a minor procedure and just to get out the door, but they don't really understand the concept of why modifier 25 exists, first of all. And, you know, it's been around for a long time, but when you get out the global package and you understand that there is an element of an evaluation management service in a minor procedure, and that's what you have to know, first of all. So do you find that many misunderstand that concept? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. You said that really, really well. Many providers, perhaps they forget, perhaps Mm. they were never taught that. Like you, you explained that so clearly, right? So providers need to understand that any procedure, no matter the global days, whether it's zero, 10 or 90, it doesn't matter. There is a implicit and inherent evaluation and management already built into the payment of that service. So that evaluation and management that you're doing for that injection or for that lesion removal, right? All of that discussion and evaluation for that particular procedure is already an inherent component of that particular CPT code. So therefore, based on rules and guidelines and regulations, the modifier 25, right, as you so clearly explained, is for a significant and separately identifiable ENM service on the same day of that procedure. So if the, if, if the provider is not working up the patient for something else, like, yes, I'm coming in for a lesion on my breast, fine but I'm totally stressed out of my mind, right? I have anxiety. Um, All of that can be worked up by the physician, right? So if there's something clearly documented in the note that the patient came in and is complaining of something else, separate and distinct from the procedure on the breast, that can be then sent out on a claim as an ENM established patient with the modifier 25. So it has to be something that the provider, if it's an MDDO or a QHP, is working up separately, right? That patient is clearly complaining of something else. So I think in terms like that, when we're providing education to our healthcare providers, that they have to somehow understand that that is what warrants that separate and distinct modifier 25 on the evaluation and management code that they're trying to send out. But if, again, it's the same complaint, if it's the same rationale just for the breast, you cannot send out a separate evaluation and management code because it's, again, inherent component of the breast procedure that the physician is going to be performing. So, yeah, to make a long story short, absolutely, I've seen providers (laughs) very confused about the modifier. Yeah, for sure. 
for sure. And I, yeah, I feel like with our education that we do, I mean, it often would require that we give scenarios to them. Yeah. And of yeah. course, we can't physically see charts in front of us on this podcast. So we can't like visually show anyone right. um, how to break this up. But whenever, I, I, before we get into the, the payer issue, I feel like it's important because that payer issue involves established patient visits. I, I really want to just kind of help understand if you can visualize the 2021 guideline table, it's in your book. So as you're listening to this podcast, if you have your book open and you are looking at this table with me, you can visualize as I'm talking here, because I feel like it's important that you visualize it as I'm saying what I'm about to say, so you can understand how this works. I get so many questions about what if our 25 being so difficult now because of the 2021 guidelines. The modifier hasn't changed. Yes, our guidelines have changed, but what we understand about the modifier has not changed. We just have to learn how to pull different components out differently, right? Right. So when I'm looking at my table, the first thing I'm going to do is figure out, okay, what is the procedure I'm going to be doing, right? What is the reason for that procedure? Um, It carries its own unique risk, right? Um, But outside of that, what else do I have in this note documented that can be pulled for my problem? In that first column, is there any additional data that is being done outside of that procedure that I can pull? Mm-hmm. And is there maybe medication being ordered, something in that risk column? Yes. And I'm just basically going to plug the data in. And what do I have? I'm going to circle each section that I have, and then I'm going to level it that way if I have anything to level. And cut and dry, that's pretty much it, guys. <laughs> yes. I, I, I don't feel like it's as complicated as some make it, but then there's also new people coming in. They're being misinformed. Right. They're not being accurately educated for their specialty and been given advice that isn't based on sound guidance, regulatory guidelines, and then everyone's confused. Right. And it's just a big old mess and it snowballs <laughs> from one person. It's kind of like a game telephone, right? Yes. And you, it starts out one thing and then you repeat that to somebody else. And by the time it gets to the 10th person, it's completely inaccurate. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. My God, that's a great analogy. That's absolutely true. That's absolutely that's true. Awesome. I'm sure that's what's been happening all these years, right? Since the OIG came out with their first ugly mm-hmm. report on Modifier 25 way back in 2005. So yeah, this problem has been in existence. The misunderstanding of Modifier 25 has been around the block for a very long time. Um, and it, it, it does poke its ugly head up from time to time from the various, you know, comparative billing reports that go on the OIG work plan. And mm-hmm. then of course, all of these commercial payer policies that decide every two years or so to all at once decide, Hey, let's go ahead and try and implement a new policy effective on August 13th, 2022, you know, um, <laughs> let's just see if we can do this really quickly. Um, you know, but as we see every two years, it kind of comes to a halt. So we all get kind of threatened and we're all kind of scurrying about. Um, but I remember as you know, um, the most recent was in 2019 and nothing really came of these payer policies. They just kind of put it in their provider news and their news bulletins. And, you know, we had similar conversations to this, you know, with our peers in 2019 about what to do for all this prepayment, um, you know, how to make sure that their documentation does meet the modifier 25 beforehand, right? Which is our, which is always our goal as the educators, right? We always want that documentation regardless to support the modifier 25, Um, because especially in the work that I do on the back end, I see the clawbacks happen, right? Because the documentation doesn't always necessarily 100% of the time support this idea of separate and significant identification, right? So then there are those clawbacks that sadly come out. So, you know, I'm going to play the devil's advocate here, but sometimes I do think that this prepayment ideology is a good thing, right? Because it it helps providers slow down and better document this, this idea of separate and distinct. And so they become in better habit, right? To actually start documenting their rationale for 
that separate service? Um, you know, did they prescribe something? Did they really work up the high blood pressure, the hypertension, the, the diabetes, you know, what was actually done? So just to play devil's advocate, I think maybe it could be a good thing. Um, you know, in, in, in terms of greater education for the providers, because clearly this modifier has been, uh, misunderstood, at least from a Medicare perspective, right? Since way back in 2005, when that first OIG report came out. So, yeah. You know, know, the devil, you know, like, (laughs) speaking of that, um, let's talk about uh, that particular document. Um, So for instance, I have it pulled up here. Um, It's a great document to review if you want to go back and I'll put it in the show notes for all our listeners. But I'm just going to briefly just kind of run down what the findings were in this document. So 2005, right? So they're talking about what they reviewed previous years that led up to this document. And so it said 35% of claims using modifier 25 that Medicare allowed in the year 2002, which incidentally was my first year in healthcare, (laughs) (laughs) meet program requirements resulting in $538 million in wow. That's, That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money, people. Wow. Okay. A lot of money. Okay. So I can see, you know, mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. Um, at that point in time, they were very concerned and why since then it has become the most abused second cousins to the 59. <laughs> right. Also been right. They are cousins for sure. Yeah. Um, so 50 to 25 has been abused severely. And because of improper education, misunderstanding what it means, first of all, and then the documentation not being accurately transcribed or abstracted. And you know, not to fault the providers, you know, they're they're documenting for the most part what they're doing, but right. the misinterpretation is coming in mm-hmm. as to how to use the modifier and capture additional revenue. That is right. what they're trying to do, right? Who doesn't want more money? I mean exactly, right, for sure. They work very hard, these providers, and absolutely. You know, ones I talk to, you know, they want to find ways to increase revenue. And I tell them, you know, there are a lot of missed opportunities that we have seen. Oh, and sure. so that's our, our job, right? As auditors and consultants, <laughs> our job is to help them find that missed revenue. And that's what we right. want to do. That's right. It's not always going to mean a 25 modifier. It could just mean an additional service that you're not reporting that doesn't require a 25 modifier, <laughs> which brings me to my next thought is, this idea that the 25 modifier should be on everything, including labs and x-rays and all these services, <laughs> I see so many times. And when I was, I was a biller before I was a coder. I was, you know, receptionist. I worked into billing. I was working claims, trying to fix errors. And I would see so many 25 modifiers. And then I would see a lab or an x-ray. Now, I understand the fact that some payer processing manuals have this in there, but not very many of them. I haven't run across very many that say you have to add a 25 modifier or we will not process your claim. And it's usually a certain service that they're talking about um, that I run into. Is that something that you have seen occasionally? Oh Oh, yes. Oh no. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. So many claims are just appended with modifier 25. I don't really see the rationale right? There's no edits at play between the codes that they're using, like you said, with the x-rays in particular, laboratory codes in particular. I'm like, why are these modifier 25s just there, right? It makes no sense to me. But yes, I've seen this because I too started my career as a biller, um, not as early as you in 2002. I started right when the economy first tanked in 2008. So yeah, from the variety of specialty claims I saw, even back then and to this day, there's a lot of, again, just misuse of the modifier 25. And our, our education needs to also support not just the provider, but perhaps also from the billing, right? And the coders and to understand what is it that their, their understanding comes from where does their understanding come from and why is there so much appendage of these modifier 25s when they don't need to be on the claim? So yeah, that's, 
always things that I have in the back of my mind as why, what was their rationale, right? And many times I don't get that conversation. I don't have that opportunity for that conversation between that particular coder or that particular biller and myself to really get to the, you know, nooks and crannies of what, what their thought process was. Um, But yeah, but back to that modifier 25 OIG report in 2005, I really wanted to make sure that the audience understands that back in the day, the carriers, the MACs in our various jurisdictions did not really do a good job like they do today in 2022. I think they're all commendable. Um, I research their web pages all the time. All of the Macs have a separate dedicated web page to modify 25 education, all of them. But in this report that the OIG provided to all of us in 2005, their recommendation was that CMS did not have enough education out there for providers, right? And CMS agreed that, yeah, we don't have enough of the education. So that's when they began to implement and beef up their their education to providers across the country. So yeah, I think it was a really, really good thing that the OIG report came out and disclosed that, right? And that CMS agreed, like, yeah, we are deficient here and we're going to step it up and ramp it up. And as you and I have seen over the years, they've done a really good job from their, you know, webinars that they give, their their telephone conversations that they have as an offering to their providers in their jurisdiction. Um, I think they really have done a good job in terms of providing the opportunities for our providers to gain the education. So um, I think it's a good thing, but clearly as we continue to see um, that modifier 25 is still is still slapped on when it's unnecessary or it's just simply continuing to be misunderstood. Like we're still going to be waiting for that dermatology report that's coming out um, in, in 2022, right? That, that there was an OIG work plan last year in, in 21 and we're waiting for the dermatology and modifier 25 report to come out. So I know you and I are very excited about that, but like, what are they going to find? I'm predicting, and I think I am safe to say (laughs) that things will be misused, right? It's going to be misused. Unfortunately, Um, unfortunately. we're planning to see. Uh, (laughs) uh, For sure, we're going to see some kind of error. And uh, in in many ways, I'm I'm not going to be surprised. But um, I like what you mentioned about that, the carrier oversight, because in that report, it does mention that it is limited because back then it did say that more than one third of carriers have not conducted oversight related to this modifier. So when this particular payer, the C payer, I call them, um, decided to put that in in letters, bold letters on top of their modifier 25 document, um, they, and other carrier, another carrier I saw in a specific state um, had a similar policy they were coming across and it wasn't, you know, this is a, a payer the B payer, I call them, okay. um, they did actually, it's state by state by state, you know, they have their own, they have their right. own state specific guidelines. And so that particular right. state did have something on it that I found. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was similar wording to what that other payer said, but I think also they, they really, um, are part of the problem too, is that they do things so differently. Right. And I think historically coders and billers and maybe office managers, those in the business cycle, they just don't maybe all the time research these different payers. So Mm -hmm. they don't have enough research done to where they don't know that these different payers do things differently. Right. They don't research the processing manual. And I oftentimes have to remind my students when I teach them, your job is not just to be a coder. It's very, you know, believe it or not, it's a very small part of what you do because most of the time, the code is the code is the code. <laughs> um, the code is very, very basic. And in order to get paid, it's not the code itself. It's the insurance policy that you have to know. Um, well said. Payment well isn't said. guaranteed by choosing the correct code. Well said, Jen. Yes, absolutely right. And I think, and I know I've been trying to say this in various circles for a number of years. I agree with you completely. Our coders are not just coders, right? They have to be trained 
to do the research on payer policies. Absolutely. Because as you said, the CPT code is the CPT code. It is what it is. But what does the payer policy, whether it's a clinical medical policy, whether it's a reimbursement policy, whatever their name for the policy is, that has to be researched, right, for the particular types of codes that the provider is trying to bill. So that's really spot on. And I know I've been trying to say that for a number of years, that our coders have to be doing much more than just coding, than just putting the code on the claim. There has to be a lot more critical thinking that's involved and that starts with those payer policies, um, you know, and then they can develop a, a information tool for their team. So, you know, all of those payer policies are all easily identifiable for that particular coding team, right? Start developing tools and checklists for the various providers. So then you have an easier understanding of what you can send out on claims so reimbursement can be made appropriately. So then you're not fighting again on the back end to appeal things like, oh, it got denied. Well, that, that's an uphill battle once again when you make the appeal. So yeah, that's a whole other conversation, but I completely agree with you that coders are much more than just the people who slap the CPT and hick picks and the modifiers on the claims. They're much more um, than that. Yeah. 100%. I feel like it is education specific and you're in compliance and I've been in compliance at times. And I feel like that's also something that needs to be addressed on the compliance side because, you know, compliance covers so many areas, but most clinics, if they have a, a compliance officer or policies, which they should, um, they're going to have policies somewhere for their coders, for those actually coding the charges. And if they don't, now is a great time to sit down, guys, and think about how you're going to do that if you don't have one. <laughs> but um, you definitely should have different departments should have policies for them. Because guess what? Not every department functions the same. <laughs> so one department may need certain guidance and compliance policies they have to follow, while the other department may do things to the nature of their job differently. So it's a great idea to get out some of these policies and a place where your coders and billers know to go to what is the policy? How do we know how to do this part of our job? And that should be in there. So everyone has a standardized place to go and find this information. And there may be very specific things to your type of specialty that another specialty wouldn't have. So you're not going to just print out a policy and it's going to be the same all the time. It's going to be geared to your specific specialty and you need to know that. But of course, um, compliance is a huge issue. Do you have any comment on that? Absolutely. You know, I think that's where in general, and I might get a little poo-pooed on here, but I think that's where in, in general, we're all so siloed. We're all so just bifurcated in these different, you know, tunnels and lanes and whatever, but all of our jobs center around compliance, right? Compliance is that number one feature, the backbone, the spine of what we do is compliance. And I don't necessarily think the way things are taught to this day are that focused on compliance, right? It's all segregated out. You do your coding, you do your billing, you do your strictly legal compliance stuff. And it's all just separated out when really, it's all, it's all cohesive. It should all be, you know, centered around the ideology of compliance. And I really think that's why we're kind of in this mess of healthcare today. We're kind of in this messy spot where there's so much disconnect that's happening and there's so much reimbursement loss and abuse and all of these big, bad, ugly words that we continue to hear is simply because it's, it's not simple, but I think it's because we lack cohesiveness in the ideology of compliance in our various roles that we play from the beginning of our careers to the middle, right? And then obviously towards the greater end of things, we 
are then more in tune with the concept of compliance. But I'm like, why do we only achieve that knowledge later in our career? Why don't we have that access to compliance knowledge and compliance acumen when we start our careers? That's just some food for thought. Absolutely. I mean, it should be something that is, you know, carried throughout. And I even tell my, my, my students too, is like, this is the first exam you maybe you're taking, but I will tell you the more you grow in this career, the more exams you take, there is always questions on your exam about compliance because it is integral to our organizations. It's integral to the healthcare system. Um, it's not just billers and coders that have compliance. You have your clinical staff has compliance as well. <laughs> Physicians have compliance. Everyone does it. That's why I work for a hospital. It's like, I used to get that list from the compliance department. They would send out a spreadsheet and they would highlight all of the employees that have not completed their compliance training. Right. And yes. I mean, I know they're busy, you know, physicians were always at the top of the list, but, <laughs> but your office managers had to like, kind of push them along and be, Hey, can you go ahead and do this? And so it, we're not immune. Like nobody is immune to this. It's everyone is required to do this. That's right. It's, That's and right. if you're a private practice and you're not having your physicians do it, because maybe you're afraid to ask them to do it, don't be that way because you're covering um, them legally by by providing that. It's it's for the benefit of the practice, the health of the practice, the health of every person in that that organization so you can stay in business. Um, Mm -hmm. This industry is not unique to it. I mean, banking has compliance. Um, Any industry really has compliance, the nature of compliance built into them, right? So it's just part of us making sure we're doing the right thing all the time. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. So getting back to, you know, I mean, this payer thing, we kind of circle around it, but at the the end of the day, guys, just just think about the fact that we have to keep watching, you know, things are fluid in healthcare. They change constantly. So one idea might come out and be, Oh, that's a great idea to somebody. But then after it's thought about a little longer, it becomes to where, how are we going to actually make this work? How is this going to affect other people? And I think that is kind of the synopsis. You know, there was information that came out that it they have to stop and think about it now. It may not really come forward because now there's some more information coming out that maybe it's not exactly accurate or appropriate <laughs> with all of the things they mentioned. Because at the end of the day, I think about an established patient visit. And if you look at the NCCI manual for Modifier 25, that's the National Correct Coding Initiative from Medicare, every coder and biller should know it, or at least know where to find it. But when you go into that chapter where it talks about the modifier, there's a paragraph that says that a modifier 25 can be applied. You do not have to have a different diagnosis and the patient does not have to be a new patient. So that is in that manual, Medicare processing manual. Most payers follow that. So that's another question I have. What do you think about that? That, that to me seems pretty clear why we shouldn't necessarily assume that a, a new patient versus established should have a 25. It's going to be on based on the documentation. Exactly right. No, it's black and white. It's written right there. And that's one of the problem children that I've seen over the years, right? Is this new patient evaluation and management 99% of the time is slapped on with that modifier 25 when it's unnecessary, right? According to our NCCI manual, it says it right there. Um, So yeah, there are many instances of where our people just don't understand perhaps where these tools can be found, but the NCCI is available to all of us. It's online. Um, There are so many chapters that are carved out and dedicated to your various specialties and I know I've highlighted the NCCI manual in my podcast as well from time to time. And I always mention the fact that I reread my specific chapters for my specific clients that I have over the years. So I stay fresh, right? Because these, these chapters do change and there are revisions that are made. Um, And I know there was a revision just made in May of 2022. So just a month ago. You know, so we, we have to be aware of these types of things and stay cognizant of them. So then we can provide this type of education to our providers. 
So we also know how to bill compliantly and code compliantly for their particular service lines. Um, so yeah, that's that's a really, really good good point that there are so many tools that are available to us in this field that we need to be aware of and need to pay attention to and not just read to pass our exam, right? right. We need to continue using these tools for our day-to-day job. Um, it shouldn't just be used to pass an exam. We have to use it every single day in the job that we do. Um, yeah. And getting back to that, 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 that policy change that insurance C um, is going to hypothetically come out with on August 13th, 2022. So in just a couple months, they're hypothetically saying this is going to roll out. Um, there's a bullet point here that I wanted to read to you. Now, I'm presuming this is still 2022, correct? I'm not going back in time to before the new 2021 ENM guidelines came out. And I'm pretty certain that Cigna follows the new 2021 ENM guidelines. But they're saying in this new reimbursement policy that they're planning to roll out, on August 13th, 2022, they're saying in a bullet point here that they want the supporting documentation has to satisfy the key component criteria for the level of the evaluation and management service as defined by CMS in the 1997 documentation guidelines for evaluation and management services. So here you go they type that up in this new policy that they're going to be unrolling. So I wanted to get any thoughts from you. Why would they talk about 1997 documentation guidelines when it's the year 2022 for this office-based visit codes is specifically what their policy is talking about? There's a lot of reasons that come to mind. Um, I don't, I can't really say for sure. I'm pretty sure they do follow the, the new guidelines, but there are some payers that don't in certain states. But the other side of the coin I think of too is there are times, believe it or not, where we have to use those codes in the hospital setting, which would require us to, um, you know, think about things differently. But those codes themselves have been set aside for the 2021 guidelines as of 2021. So that doesn't make sense to me. But what I also think about <laughs> is the fact that they are following CMS. So since those guidelines are from the American Medical Association, they're basically saying all we have in front of us really is just what CMS says. Now, whether or not how we process a claim or how we code it is different in certain situations. So yes, those components are always there. They're, that's the Medicare's official guidelines is 9597. That's all they have really um, on their sites. AMA has their official guidelines, but the components are still important. So whether we level under 21 or, or the other side, if we're doing a hospital service, either way, we still have to follow those guidelines. But I see your point. Like, it doesn't make sense that they would have it that way. Um, I'm curious to find why they worded it that way. I, I'd right. be curious why they felt that way. There's little things popping up in my head. I'm like, there's so many variables to this, like right. where their right. mind went with that. But <laughs> We still use some of those codes, but even if we do, it's still going to be 2021 that we follow exactly. anytime. Anytime. Yep. Exactly right. Yeah. Anyway, I always like to give some food for thought. Like, why would they write it that way? It's fascinating. It's very um, fascinating that they yeah. think that way. Yeah. Um, but Medicare does follow. I mean, they do, they do accept the new guidelines, even though the guidelines are literally on AMA's website, they have <laughs> mentioned them in their ENM booklet. So they, right. they do mention it. Right. So at the end of the day, guys, just think about it. When you're leveling a service, get out your global package booklet, understand what is included in a service that is a procedure, right? The normal pre and post-op work that a zero or 10 day global service would need. Do you have enough else <laughs> extra mm-hmm. outside of that to get a level of service? Meaning in 2021, you have to have a problem that is um, you're not going to be using for that, that service. 
Um, it's over and above different or data or risk outside of that. Do you have something else? You're putting this to the side. I'm going to put it in a little, in a box over here. And I'm going to look at everything else that I have left. If you only had what's left, can you level a service? And that's really what it comes down to. And if you do that, whether or not the payer asks for records or whatever, it's going to be clearly seen. Now I know that's not good news for a lot of you who don't want to have to wait on these payers to review stuff. <laughs> I think that's really the issue, right? It's like, they yeah, don't want to wait. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. Cause you're putting a hold on your reimbursement. So I understand that that is the sticking point, right? That's where they're like, wait, what? Because our, our providers are so used to receiving their payment within 14 days, right? Everything is automatic and things get paid. Um, but then that's where I always come in and play the devil's advocate. Cause I see the nightmare on the back end is when an auditor on the payer side starts looking at the data, right? They start looking at the volume of claims that have been billed out with modifier 25. There is that analytical person on the payer's team. That's that, that's what their job is. They're the auditor on that side. And that's where I see pause right? That's where I'm like, hmm, well, yeah, I see that you don't want to wait to be paid. I absolutely get it. But then on the back end in five years, what I see is the aftermath, right? That, oh gosh, we're going to be getting those clawbacks, right? Because they, they've seen, you know, 100 claims that were inappropriately billed with modified 25, they could start to take back and look at it a larger time span, right. And start looking more keenly. Um, and then that's where we might get into more trouble. So that's where, where I'm always a little gun shy there, right. I always want to make sure our providers do the right thing the first time. Um, yeah. And that's where we just have to keep fighting the good fight and keep educating on the use of modifier 25. And like I said earlier, in our conversation, you know, there are the modifier tip sheets and fact sheets available on all of your Mac pages. So many of our commercial payers also have reimbursement policies on modifier 25. You just have to keep digging and keep looking for them. But the majority of our commercial payers have that information as well. And of course, most of their definitions are going to be very similar to Medicare um, and to CPT, but, you know, it's, it's all available. And so we have to be very mindful to start using them in our day-to-day work and start using them as the tools that they are, right? They're all available. Um, so we can all start doing a better job in protecting our providers' monies um, so they can keep them the first time. Absolutely. So I encourage, and we're going to put lots of in our show notes. I'm going to give you lots of tools because I know I've heard from people that they just don't know how to find stuff. And, you know, I understand that it's, it's daunting to figure out where to go, but once you learn the, the, the normal process of where things are, it's helpful. So most websites have an area where there's a provider section. And that's usually what the first thing I look for is a provider section of their website. And then I try to search through and try to find maybe where they have policies, processing manuals, that's where you're going to find that information. And for CMS, you're going to find the internet-only manual, and you want Chapter 12. You want the processing manual, the Chapter 12, and that is where you're going to find, just do Control-F and find the 25 stuff, because they have laced throughout that entire document so much information on Modifier 25, how they process things. And it could be unique to your specialty or your service. They give you examples. They give you actual examples of how to apply this in so many ways. And so maybe that example is one that's going to help you specifically in your documentation. But at the end of the day, you know, do your due diligence ahead of time. Um, Try to prevent those claims from going out wrong the first time. Make sure somebody in the office is checking these and educating the providers. In this instance, yes, I know you did a procedure, but it's actually going to be bundled into the procedure. We're not going to have enough to to get that. So you're you're going to get paid. And that's where the money is coming from. Um, and then next time, you know, if you, if you do this or this or this, then maybe that'd be an opportunity that we can get an extra evaluation management service. 
but making sure they know why they're getting paid this and that they are getting paid just in this service. And I think just being transparent with your providers, letting them know um, that you're doing things up above board and you're, you're getting them money that they are owed so they don't have to have it taken back later. They work so hard for their jobs, what they do for patients. We don't want them to lose money later. Like it's get it now and keep it. Exactly. That's our goal. That's our goal, <laughs> right? Get it now and keep it. That's well said. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so now we could talk all day about this stuff and um, <laughs> of course I feel <laughs> like it's just gotten away from us. We were just enjoying this conversation so much. I think we, we probably could do a whole conference just on Modifier 25. Just on Modifier 25. Oh my goodness. Of course we could. You know, we, we could. could. We could spend the whole day talking about just one modifier. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, well, what a great time we've had this morning. So um, thank you for joining and um, everyone, you have to listen to paint the medical picture podcast with Sanal Patel. It is a great, great podcast. I just love listening to your voice and all. It's so, it's so calming and just, just so I can listen to you all day long. It's just, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful podcast. And so I encourage all, I will put it in our show notes as well. Go check out Sanal's podcast and contact her and follow her on LinkedIn. I mean, that's an old post. You're just such a great, a great motivation to all of us in the industry. So thank you, Sanal. Oh, thank you so much, Jennifer. I totally appreciated your invitation for me to join you in this conversation today because yeah, the modifier 25, it stuck its ugly head up and we had to discuss the good usage of modifier 25, right? We had to talk about these commercial payers for a, for a minute on what they're planning on doing, but the real conversation, the real nuts and bolts is on how to append modifier 25 correctly. So I absolutely hope your audience is going to relish in our conversation because I think we both provided some really good and useful tips and advice on things we've seen in our career and all of the various tools that our colleagues should be utilizing on a day-to-day basis. So yeah, I absolutely was thrilled to be here today and I know we'll be collaborating again together in the future. So I'm so grateful for you in this space as well, because you're a wonderful educator to all of us from colleagues, from other coders, other compliance professionals, and of course, providers. So thank you so much, Jennifer. Thanks to our special guest, Sanal Patel today for joining the Life as Coder podcast. I want to thank all of our listeners for listening again, once again, every week to us, and we will put all of the information in our show notes for you to review. I want to shout out to our sponsors over at OncoSpark and our amazing podcast producer, Gabriel Fass with Highland Productions. Until next time. Thanks for joining the Life as a Coder podcast. Please feel free to rate or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate that effort. It helps us share the show with other healthcare professionals just like you. Join us next Wednesday for another episode. We'll catch you then.